the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. We are the answer for you, and you can reach us. If you want to listen to me on the web, you can reach me worldwide at drbillradiomd.com and click join me or listen live or whatever I have there. Or you can go to the radio station website, which is am860theanswer.com. And we're also interactive talk radio, so you can call me at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. We're still an iHeart station, so you can get me on your mobile Well, uh, it's been a tumultuous few, several weeks, I should say. Uh, I don't know if you remember that I told you that my brother-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer last month, and he did uh, die. He expired with with no treatment because he was so far gone. This is a bad disease, so I'm going to spend a little time talking about it. And uh, as also as a uh, a, a eulogy to my brother-in-law, who was a great guy. Uh, He was really a good guy. My wife always wanted me to call him Kunopa, which Kuna's big opa means brother, big brother, because he was a few years older than me. But he always deferred back to me, I think, because of my medical degree and said that wasn't necessary. But he was a good guy and I really, really liked him a lot. Sorry to see him go. Well, this is a bad disease, pancreatic cancer. It's the fourth leading cause of cancer deaths in the United States. And uh, this is 7% of all cancer-related deaths, the big three being lung, breast, and colon cancer. And this is a a very tough disease unless you get it early. The reason is that the pancreas, which is an organ and a, a, a gland, secretes into the bloodstream the insulin that we need as well as other hormones to balance our sugar and to keep keep our blood sugar in normal levels so we have energy for our muscle cells to work. It also is an exocrine gland. It's an endocrine and exocrine. Endo means it releases it into the bloodstream. Exocrine means that it actually excretes it into a body cavity, and in this case it excretes digestive enzymes into the first part of the small intestines. So what happens is when you start to eat, you have enzymes in your mouth that start to break down the sugars that that you're eating and then as it goes into our stomach the stomach does some more work on breaking down sugars 
and uh, a few other items are broken down in in the stomach where the pH is very low that's very acidic then the food bolus goes into the small intestines and when that happens the uh, bile duct which releases bile from the liver and the pancreatic duct which releases the digestive juices from the pancreas join together and open into the small intestines the two hollow tubes the two ducts as we call them join together and those hollow tubes carry the the digestive enzymes and the bile down into the gut. The bile is necessary to help absorb fats and the digestive enzymes from the pancreas, uh, for the most part, break down proteins into amino acids so they can be absorbed and utilized. Well, pancreas is a, a bad organ to have cancer in because it doesn't have a capsule around it because it has to be able to uh, excrete the insulin and the other hormones into the bloodstream. So it's got a network of blood vessels and, and uh, uh, other items to help exchange this and get it out into the general body. And because it doesn't have a capsule around it, like the ovaries, when you get a cancer, you may not have any symptoms until it's way too late. Generally, these cancers occur in the head of the pancreas, that is the part of the pancreas that's closest to the small intestine, and this can block off the bile ducts as well as the pancreatic duct, and you can have jaundice where you turn yellow, your bile builds up in your system, you can have pain because the pancreas gets inflamed, and actually this is good because we can catch it early, and if we can catch it early, we can do surgery, we do a big procedure called the Whipple as well, there are chemotherapies and radiation that can be implemented if it's a local disease. Now, once it's out of the barn, once it's uh, in, the, in the abdomen and causing fluid to build up inside the abdomen or gets into other organs, uh, then it's, it's almost always too late. And all we can do is give rescue chemotherapy if you're healthy enough to have that chemotherapy. Uh, there are incidences. Uh, there are things in the literature that point to increasing lifespan for people with metastatic pancreatic cancer if they get the new um, anti-cancer drugs, the chemotherapy. And so there's a lot of hope in this disease. And as well as I'm always talking about the biologics that come out, we're having new biologics come out almost Every month, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but the biologics are specifically engineered antibodies and different substances that, that block pathways in the growth and reproduction of cancer cells. So we, we've got a lot going on, and hopefully we'll have a, a cure for this disease in the near future because it is a terrible disease, and it's very painful. And my brother-in-law suffered tremendously until the end. Uh, they put him in hospice and, of course, gave him all the necessary medications to make him comfortable. But, oh, my, what a bad disease. And the surgery for the cure is no easy surgery. The Whipple's a, a big, big surgery. And you say, well, Dr. Bill, <laughs> what causes pancreatic cancer? There's probably uh, a genetic component to it in some of the cases. We also know that alcohol abuse with chronic pancreatitis is, 
is a precipitating factor. Smoking, believe it or not, is at the top of the list. It's it's one of the most common cancer-causing agents associated with pancreatic cancer. Also, what I'm always harping on is obesity and dietary factors. And in a number of studies, obesity, essential, especially central obesity, you know, big tummy obesity like we guys get, has been associated with a higher incidence of pancreatic cancer. So we've got things that are controllable, smoking, uh, our weight. Now, things that are not controllable are diabetes mellitus. And with diabetes, there's a higher risk of pancreatic cancer. And long-standing chronic pancreatitis as in alcoholics, and there's also some unknown causes, some autoimmune causes where we attack our own pancreas. And we know there are 5 to 10% of the patients with genetic factors that contribute to it, just, just as we have in the, uh, in the breast cancer and ovarian cancer, we have about 10% that are genetically related. And by the way, if you do have the gene for the breast cancer, uh, then you probably need to keep an eye on and be aware of pancreatic cancer because you'll be at a higher incidence for this. seems to cross over. So there are also uh, race-related factors. The incidence is a little higher in black males in the United States. And again, this is the eighth or tenth leading cause of cancer, but the fourth leading cause of cancer death. So you can see that this is a, a big, a tough, and difficult problem. And worldwide, this is the 13th largest incidence or causative agent of cancer, but the eighth largest as a cause of death. Once you get out of the United States, there are other cancers that are more aggressive and cause more deaths. Well, what are the symptoms? What do we see? What do we feel? I mean, this is really uh, a bad thing to uh, to come down with because oftentimes you don't feel anything until it's too late. Like my brother-in-law who just started to lose weight, and this is a common phenomenon to see weight loss. And then he got ascites, which is fluid in his belly. Why? Because there's inflammation of the lining around the belly, what we call the peritoneum. And this is a thin membrane that envelops the, the majority of the uh, – small and large bowel in the stomach and you can get cancer cells out into that area and that will also be inflammatory and cause a reaction and it's very painful so the next thing after the weight loss is he started having abdominal pain and with the abdominal pain the belly pain his wife said we're taking you to the doctor and the workup was started and he was diagnosed with the cancer almost immediately because of the size of the of the cancer in the in the pancreas and you can pick these cancers up with uh, a cat scan that's still probably the best way to do it although you can see it with ultrasound too uh, however the ultrasound you have to do that on an empty stomach and if you have a very obese belly that you have to put your sound waves through you don't get as good a picture uh, however Again, that is a good screening test in areas that don't have uh, high-resolution CAT scanners, so that's something to keep in mind. What are the other things that we see besides pain? Well, jaundice or the yellowing of the skin and the eyes that comes with obstruction or blockage of the bile, 
is a, a common presenting symptom, especially if the cancer occurs in an area that can block the pancreatic and the bile ducts, little tubes that let the digestive juices and the bile out. So this is uh, uh, actually a good thing to have because it means that it's at the head of the pancreas and you may be catching it early. So unexplained jaundice, itching, uh, pain, inflammation like a hot gallbladder, which is in the right upper part of the belly under the rib cage on the right. So if you have those symptoms, then that may be a good thing because it may be early enough that it's resectable, that you can cut it out and you can do this Whipple procedure. And there are people who are saved and, and do survive this disease. For the most part, it's a bad disease and has a high mortality rate, 60% at one year and probably 90 to 95% at five years. So it's, it's a bad, bad bug to catch <laughs> and it's a tough one to cure. There's no uh, cure for it other than surgery. There is no, um, there's no prevention other than stop smoking, cut down on your drinking, lose weight, watch what you eat, uh, take good care of yourself. And if you have symptoms, go see your doctor right away. Don't, I say again, don't sit and wait. Don't say, oh, it's just belly pain. You got belly pain? Go see your doctor. You turned a little jaundice, you're getting a little yellow. Don't wait and say, oh, let's see if it goes away. Don't do that. Go see your doctor and insist that you have a good workup, a thorough workup, especially if you're at high risk. If you're over 45, if you've got a big belly, if you're a smoker, if you're a moderate drinker or a diabetic, all these things can add to it as well as the genetics. So you have to ask family members if there's any history of pancreatic cancer in the family. That's very important to do, and it's something that we should all be doing is asking our family, our parents, and our grandparents, aunts and uncles, what the family history is. <coughs> so do that, and make sure you get into your doctor. Now, my brother-in-law, like most guys, tough guy, you know, doesn't want to admit that there's anything wrong, doesn't want to bother anybody with his physical problems. And although he was losing weight for several months, unexplained, you know, he wasn't dieting, he didn't have a diarrhea or nausea and vomiting syndrome. He didn't go see anybody. And South Korea, where he resided, has a, a fine medical care system. But, of course, you've got to get these things early. And they have plenty of CAT scanners and ultrasounds and MRI machines in South Korea. They have one of the best health care systems in the world, pretty close to what we have here. And so we, we see a guy, a nice guy, a good guy, who has worked hard all his life, raised his kids, got great grandkids. I, I know them all, uh, both his son and his daughter and their spouses. Just wonderful people, really love them all. And so here's this guy who the whole family looked up to. It's still a very Confucian society. Confucius was the uh, ancient uh, Chinese philosopher. And in the Confucian system, the father is the head of the, of the family. And so how that devolves is that the oldest son of the oldest son of the oldest son on down the line remains the 
the uh, titular head of the family and is expected to be there for the rest of the family, a caretaker role, also to keep the family history. Uh, in my wife's family, her cousin Hong, H-O-N-G, cousin Hong, is the, is the direct descendant of the first patriarch of their, of their tribe. So he keeps all the family records, and he's actually got a, 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 basically a book of the family history going back uh, eight or ten generations. So it's fascinating to see. So you got to talk to your family and find out what the history is. Uh, you have to look at all the risk factors and try to modify those. Again, it's going to be the, the ones you can modify are going to be smoking, obesity, and alcohol abuse. Now, if you're diabetic, you need to you need to keep a little. Uh, excuse me. You need to keep a little uh, little tab on your pancreatic health. And that will involve not only seeing your doctor regularly, but if you have any symptoms of jaundice, that is yellowing of the skin, uh, indigestion, problems in your upper abdomen, especially the right upper abdomen, right upper belly, under the rib cage or in your stomach area, which is right under your breastbone, that's where you'll get the stomach pain. And the pancreatic pain as well will be there, and, and it can also go to your back. So the pancreatic pain will go through and through. So you'll feel it in your stomach and you'll also feel it in your back. If you have any of these symptoms, go see somebody and get checked up. And if the doctor says, I'm not worried, say, well, I am. And I want a CAT scan. I want to know what's going on in my belly. That's okay. We got plenty of CAT scanners in, in the United States and we've got tons of them in Pinellas and Hillsborough County. I mean, we've got them all over the place because of our very old population here. So, we want to keep tabs on this. It's, it's a big deal, and we don't want to see anybody dying from something that's treatable. So what do we do if we can't have surgery, if it's too late, if it's out of the barn? Well, there are some chemotherapies that are out now. As well, there's radiation therapy. There's a number of... of uh, chemotherapeutic agents that are on the market now and are recommended as first-line treatment for patients with uh, metastatic or locally advanced disease where you can't go in and cut it out. Metastatic means greater than the area in which it originated in. So if a cancer originates in the pancreas but it's already hooked itself to the lining of the abdomen, the peritoneum, or gotten into the lungs or uh, some other organ, then we call that metastatic, greater than or away from the first site, stasis, static. Static means it's not moving. So if it's metastatic, it's moved, and that's not a good thing. There are a number of drugs that are out. Uh, there's uh, fulvin, ful, I'm going to try and pronounce this, fulfironox. There's 5-FU, which is an old-time drug. There's also radiation, and there's also secondary or second-line drugs that can be used. And this is not going to be a cure, but at least it might give a person a year or two. And this is what I like to tell people. They say, should I do it? And if I think that they're a candidate, I say yes, because especially in this day and age when we're developing all these new 
biologic agents that are genetically engineered, you never know when a cure is going to come out. And the story I always remember when I was a medical student, I was on surgery at the Trover Clinic in Madisonville, Kentucky. My dad went to school with the guy that founded the clinic, Trover, and he was a good old Kentucky boy, and he spoke with a Kentucky accent. And my dad thought he was an idiot because my dad was from the Northeast, and you know how those Northeasterners are. But after the first round of exams, <laughs> Trevor was at the top of the, uh, at the at the top of the curve, and and Dad had a newfound respect, opened his eyes. You know how we feel. We have our own regionalisms, and we get through that. At any rate, so Trover founded a clinic in Madisonville, Kentucky, which is in the western part of the state. And I went there for my surgery rotation. They were part of the University of Louisville's teaching hospital system. And the surgeon I was working under told me a story that when he was a young student, he had a friend who had pernicious anemia. Now, pernicious anemia is a deficiency of the vitamin B12. And the problem is, is that some people are not able to absorb B12 when they take it as a food source. And so it doesn't get into their system, even if they're taking 100,000 million units of the, of the B12 vitamin, they're not going to absorb it because we have to have a little thing called intrinsic factor, which is a protein in the stomach that binds with the B12, and that way the intestines will let it in. It's, it's got to have somebody to guide it into the system, or the small intestines won't let it through. So at any rate, his friend had pernicious anemia back in the 1920s or 30s, back in that era. And they didn't know yet what the causative factor of pernicious anemia was. And it was a terrible disease. You'd uh, have stomach problems. You'd have numbness and tingling. Uh, you'd have pain. Uh, it caused mental problems because it's so involved. So you'd have depression and you'd lose your vision. Just a horrible disease. And as well, you were anemic and you were weak. And they did figure out that <clears throat> blood transfusions can help. And so blood transfusions were the thing they were using in the 1920s. Well, <clears throat> my uh, professor's friend said he didn't want to live anymore. He didn't want to go for any more blood transfusions. He was tired of hurting. He was tired of losing his mind, not having any feeling in his hands, not being able to eat. And he stopped getting the transfusions and he died. A couple of weeks later, they came out with the discovery that B12 was the causative agent or the lack of B12 and that it was easily treatable with a B12 injection every three or four weeks. And so the point that my mentor, my surgeon uh, teacher was making was that you never know. So don't give up. I mean, there's obviously a time when a cancer or a disease is so overwhelming that You'll get three opinions, and all three doctors will say, it's not worth it. Don't get the chemotherapy. You're not going to last no matter what, or you're too old, or you're too debilitated to have chemotherapy and radiation or to have the surgery. And we think the best thing would be if you just hooked up with hospice and, and kind of uh, smoothed on out as comfortably as you can from this life into whatever comes next. And so I think it's important, though, that if there is hope, that we grasp onto that and we look and see that there may be a future. It may not be known 
We may not know exactly what that future will be, but the hope of a future, that's important. It's important to hang on to that. And I try to instill that and view that into my patients when they have serious diseases. And there are times when there's just not much you can do. And you just say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think there's anything that we can treat you with. I know it's tough. It's especially difficult to tell a young patient that. I mean, we all expect to die when we get older. And people in their 80s certainly uh, are not going to live much longer. So when they come down with a terminal disease and it's not treatable, it's a little easier to talk to them. But when you have a young person, somebody in their twenties or thirties or forties, it's really devastating. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to go in and face the family and the wife or the husband, the kids. And, uh, it's, it can be very heartbreaking, heart wrenching to have to go in and tell somebody that pancreatic cancer generally strikes people over 45. And as we get older, there's a higher incidence of it. So it's one of those cancers that we don't see a lot of young people with it. And so it's not as emotionally devastating for, for the doctors and the staff. And of course the families, nobody wants to lose a loved one. We all want to see mom and dad or uh, spouses or friends go on forever but that's not going to happen. So that's my spiel on pancreatic cancer. And if you have any questions about that, I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. Well, we're going to take a minute here and let me go clear my throat out. And when I come back, I want to talk about Rudy Giuliani, who is Trump's latest how shall I say it? His lawyer, his lawyer advisor. I think he's been an advisor for a while anyway, but I wanted to fill you in on this guy. I've followed his career since the 1970s and uh, he's an interesting character, a very capable character too. So I'll be back. Hang in there. I'm going to grab a cup of Joe. You guys come on with me. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. A bomb blast inside a mosque in eastern Afghanistan that was being used as a voter registration center has killed at least 12 people and wounded 33 today. No one is immediately claiming responsibility for the attack, but both the Taliban and the local ISIS affiliate reject democratic elections and have targeted them in the past. ISIS is not known to have a presence in the city of Coast where the blast occurred but it has expanded its footprint elsewhere. Hawaii's erupting Kilauea volcano causing a lot of problems for people there. Lava shooting out of openings in the ground has destroyed nearly half a dozen homes. 1,700 people are evacuated. Tens of thousands of Lebanese are voting today in the first parliamentary elections in nine years. People began lining up early this morning to take part in an election that has been fiercely contested. 
This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. The market has done very well since 2009. Now, where do we go from here? Author, financial advisor, and tax attorney, Rebecca Walser. On her revolutionary new book, Wealth Unbroken, Growing Wealth Uninterrupted by Market Crashes, Taxes, or Even Death. My book, Wealth Unbroken, deals with what I call the new normal of extremely high highs followed by extremely low lows. We are going to have a correction and people need to plan accordingly. If you're nearing retirement, planning accordingly shouldn't include another ride on the Wall Street roller coaster or having the IRS scramble your nest egg. So what now? Right now, you still have a window of opportunity to make some asset repositions that will affect not only your life, but your children's life and your grandchildren's life. We're talking about maximizing wealth and reducing tax as much as legally possible. Get your copy of Rebecca Walser's Wealth Unbroken at Amazon. Connect with Rebecca at WalserWealth.com. WalserWealth.com. Thank you for the amazing job you've done in moving my first book forward in the publishing process. Ludie Cotton Darnell's book, Ashley, Alex, and the Mystery Twins, was published with Zulon Press. This is an exciting time for me. Have you got a book for a Christian audience? Want to control the publishing process? Your free publishing guide is at ChristianPublishing.com. I thank the Lord that Zulon Press has made it possible. Visit Zulon Press for your free publishing guide at ChristianPublishing.com. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Today we'll have a blend of sun and clouds with a shower or thunderstorm in the area. The high will be 86. Tonight, partly cloudy skies and a low 70. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and pleasant with a high 90. Tomorrow night, mainly clear with a low 68. Then on Tuesday and Wednesday, it'll be mostly sunny. The high for both days will be 91. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Dan Pittman for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. That was a little bit of Bachman Turner Overdrive. Canadian group from Winnipeg, Canada. And those guys sold a lot of records. They've sold over 30 million albums worldwide. Unbelievable. They were a big hit in the 70s. And that was Baby You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Well, as promised, I'm going to talk a little bit about Rudy Giuliani. And if you have any questions or you want to make any comments, again, I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. 
And we give one last farewell to my brother-in-law, Zhang Wu, and say, we hope you make it to wherever you want to go, my friend. He was a good guy, and I'm dedicating this show to him. Well, Giuliani was the mayor of New York in the late 90s, uh, as you may recall, I think 94 to 2000 or 95 to 2001, somewhere in that area. And he has been prominent in Republican politics since the 1980s when he morphed, actually he morphed originally from a Democrat to an independent in the 1970s, and then in the 1980s from an independent to a Republican, like a lot of us did. You know, a lot of us went from being Democrats to Republicans because we were raised in families that were uh, steeped in the ideals and ideas of the Great Depression when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president and the idea that socialism could solve a lot of, of the problems, economic and social problems of the country. That didn't prove to be so. And even FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said at the end of the, of the 1930s, he, when the young communists and socialists like Wallace and Adley Stevenson and Claude Pepper, who was a Florida boy, when they came to him and said, well, what about the New Deal, which was FDR's program to restore prosperity to the country by implementing a lot of uh, government uh, jobs through work programs and art programs where the government would actually pay people, hire people, and form the companies. It didn't help. Uh, the country was in just as bad a shape economically in the late 30s. What brought the country out of the Great Depression was the uh, loosening up of money by the central banks and the ramping up of, of production and manufacturing for the coming World War II. And we started that with our Lend-Lease Act and selling and supplying goods to the, to the British to help them fight the Germans in the late uh, 1939, early 1940 era. We entered in 41. So Giuliani morphed into a Republican. And, of course, you're going to have people that say, well, he just did it for political reasons. Well, you can blame me for that, too, then, because I was raised in a Democratic family. I think that he had some honest uh, and sincere problems with the social socialistic aspects of the Democratic Party and the, where it was headed. That doesn't mean that he was not uh, a liberal in certain areas socially, but he was certainly a conservative and remains a conservative in the areas of fiscal policy. And that's important to a lot of people. Well, he ran for mayor, and he lost his first bid in a run against uh, Dinkins, who became mayor of New York City for a term, and then he beat him the second time. Uh, and his his belief, his platform, what he ran on was that he was going to restore uh, civility and lawfulness to the city. He was going to crack down on crime, and he felt that uh, the broken windows theory of urban decay was uh, an important aspect of crime in New York City and that held that minor disorders and violations like breaking windows and uh, uh, vandalism, uh, spray painting, graffiti onto the walls of city buildings and structures, uh, created a, per a permissive atmosphere that led to more serious crimes. Uh, the idea that it was okay to smoke pot and 
that it wasn't worth cracking down on the drug abuse or the prostitutes that were roaming around uh, Times Square. And I remember those from the late 60s, early 70s. It's a completely different city now. And the crime rate has come down to, if not at, a little bit below the national average, which is saying a lot. So he's credited for the major improvements in the city's quality of life in the 1990s and early 2000s because he lowered the rate of violent crime as well as nonviolent crime and petty crimes. Now, in 2000, you may recall that he ran for the Senate against, I believe it was Hillary Clinton, but he withdrew from the race when he found out he had prostate cancer. This was treated successfully from what I understand. He was Times Time Magazine's Person of the Year in 2001 because of his efforts in the aftermath of the 9-11 attack. And he was mayor during that. Uh, he was in, in the seat of the mayor at that time, and he was given an honorary knighthood by Queen Elizabeth II in 2002 for his leadership role in the aftermath. And he was called America's mayor by Democrats and Republicans as well. After that, he got out into the private sector again and did security consulting and started his own company. He ran for the presidency in 2008, uh, but uh, was, was not really a, a formidable threat to John McCain. And through his support behind John McCain, he was considered a potential candidate for the New York governorship in 2010 and again in 2012 for the Republican presidential nomination. But he declined all races and instead remained in business, making some money, because, you know, a lot of these guys, if they're honest and they're in public service, they're not going to make big money. I mean, there's just not big money to be made as uh, an assistant district attorney or even as a mayor of a city. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you get, what, two, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand. But uh, with all the expenses and all the time you put in, uh, building your career up and doing things for free. You just don't, as a general rule, come out rich unless you're dishonest. Now, he also was a prosecuting attorney. And he went after the mob. He went after Wall Street uh, people who were dishonest, like uh, Michael Milken. And I think it's Boisky is the other one in the 1980s, and uh, he got people put in jail. He was also accused of of going after people just to make a name and then dropping the charges later on. Uh, I, I think you're, you're going to have that anytime you're a prosecuting attorney. You're going to have to drop the charges against some people because you don't end up having the, uh, the material you need to prosecute you don't end up having all the uh, forensics and all of the uh, witnesses and all of the bank statements and the forensic uh, accounting and all that, or the judge says you can't bring that into trial, and then the prosecutors will say, well, we can't win our case without this piece of evidence or that, and so then they drop it. <laughs> not not un, unsurprisingly, his father was a, a little bit of a gangster. His father was a blue-collar guy, plumber, bartender, also a, a minor mafioso guy, and his his father did time at Sing Sing for felony assault and robbery. And after he was released, uh, Giuliani's father worked as an enforcer for his brother-in-law, Leo Devanzo, who ran an organized crime operation 
that was involved in loan sharking and gambling in Brooklyn, New York. So this is a this is a kid from New York, Mayor Giuliani, and he comes from a blue blue collar family. He comes from a crime family, and yet he went the other way. Uh, white collar guy, uh, crime fighter, district attorney. Good background. He, he didn't go to Harvard or Yale, but he went to Manhattan College in the Bronx and then NYU School of Law, which is a good law school. And he graduated cum laude as a doctor of law in 1968. Uh, he worked for the Robert F. Kennedy presidential campaign and again for the uh, George McGovern campaign and voted for George McGovern. He also clerked for Judge Lloyd Francis McMahon, who was a United States District Judge for the Southern District of New York. So he got his feet into the federal side of prosecuting early on. Again, as I said, he switched his party registration in the 1970s from Democratic to Independent. He was recruited to Washington, D.C. during the Ford administration in the late 1970s, where he was named Associate Deputy Attorney General and chief of staff of uh, some of the departments. And that was the, I believe that time, I believe that was the third highest ranking official in the Justice Department. So he, he was up there. He's, he's had experience, and he's been around the block a few times. He prosecuted Bertram Podell, who was a corrupt Democratic U.S. representative from New York, and got him uh, convicted. When Carter came in, he dropped out of the public spotlight and practiced law uh, at a firm in New York City or D.C. Oh, actually, it was in D.C. And uh, when Ronald Reagan came in, he jumped back in and he switched his party affiliation, as many people did, from independent to Republican or from Democratic to Republican because of the upbeat, hopeful, uh, positive message that Reagan had, as well as his more conservative fiscal policies, his view on uh, maintaining a strong military, on prosecuting foreign countries and agents who harmed us with uh, terrorist attacks or killed our people. And so a lot of us said, you know what, we've had enough of these idiots like Carter, and he became a Republican. And he was named, at this point, Associate Attorney General in the Reagan administration. I'm sorry, I said that he was appointed during the uh, Ford years, and not until the Reagan years. And he was the third highest position in the Department of Justice for the United States. And uh, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a big, big deal. So uh, Jeff Sessions is number one, and then so-and-so is number two. And if Giuliani were in that position now, he would be number three in the Justice Department. So he's had service, and in a well-publicized case in 1982, Giuliani testified in the defense of the federal government's detention posture and regarding the internment, that is, the, uh, uh, the encampment under guard of 2,000 Haitian asylum seekers who had entered the country illegally. So he's uh, been a fighter for illegal immigrants or against illegal immigrants and immigration, and he, di he disputed the, the claim that their lawyers, these 2,000 Haitians, 
the claim that they were here on political grounds. They were escaping political persecution in Haiti. And he said, that's nonsense. This is just purely uh, financial in nature. They're just here for financial opportunity. So he has been a fighter for the cause. And that's not to say that he has been heartless, because as mayor, he insisted that illegal immigrants not be chased down by the New York City police. Otherwise, their kids wouldn't have the, the opportunity to go to school or to receive health care and some of the benefits that the city and the state offered at that time. So it, it may sound like uh, a mixed bag, but I, I understand why he feels that way. As a physician, I want to make sure that everybody's healthy, not only because I want to see that one individual healthy, but because I also know that if you have a communicable disease and you come to school or to work with that, you're risking the health of everybody. So the idea is it's not the kid's fault that they're here. The parents are the ones who did the wrong thing, and uh, we need to identify anybody who's here illegally and force them into the system so that they pay taxes and they're participating more fully because they're receiving the benefits of our labor whether it's health care or roads or uh, internet or whatever it is, you and I are paying for all of these things, and we want other people who are here illegally to be identified and to be made to pay. If they're going to participate in our society, then they need to also participate in the, both the giving as well as the taking aspects of it. Now, as a federal prosecutor, Giuliani and, uh, stepped down from the Justice Department to be the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and that was a, technically a demotion, but he wanted to litigate, and as the third guy in the Justice Department, basically he was a bureaucrat. He was overseeing departments like the U.S. Marshal's Office and the, uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency offices, but he wanted to get his, his hands back into the actual casework and, and uh, get get in there and get his hands dirty and 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 do a little court, courtroom work and so he he adopted uh, a theory of disclosing who the criminals were with the perp walk now the perp walk was the per, the parading of suspects in front of the previously alerted media so you'd bring the guy in you'd book him hold him overnight to make sure that everybody thinks it's a really big deal, which it would probably is if a U.S. federal uh, attorney is getting involved. And the perp walk would be that you'd call the media in the morning and say, we're walking this guy to the, to the squad car at 9 a.m. to take him over to Rikers Island uh, where we're going to lock him up until he can post bail. And so the media would show up, and they wouldn't let the guy hide their face or put something over their face, and they'd make him walk parading the suspects in front of the uh, in front of the whole city or state or country. And so this has come into common use as a prosecutorial tool. The prosecutors like to do that. And the, the tool is used by an increasing number of prosecutors nationwide. And you can see this on the TV shows like uh, Forensic Files and uh, uh, some of the fictional uh, shows like NCIS. But that's what he brought into the public domain, among other things. And although there's been a lot of criticism of Giuliani, 
he's he's really done a lot to change the way that criminal law is is prosecuted in this country uh, over the past 30 years or so. He also went after uh, some of the insider trading people, and uh, he had some convictions. He had to drop some. He went after the mafia in 1985 and 86, and he went after 11 of the organized crime figures in New York City, so-called heads of the five families, under the RICO Act. The RICO Act is a Racketeer-Influenced and Corruption and Corrupt Organization Act. This was passed in the, in the 1970s to be able to get at the mafia because the the fathers of the mafia, the, the family fathers, the leaders would say, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. Then, you know, yeah, I know, I know Carmine Persico, but he's the one who killed him, not me, even though the father, the Don, the head of the family, is the one who ordered the hit, ultimately. And it was agreed upon by the five families that there'd be no uh, contracts for assassinating somebody, what they called a hit, unless all the families agreed upon it. So that meant that the five bosses, of the, the boss of bosses of the families, would have to agree upon it. And he went after these guys, and he got them in jail. Eight defendants were found guilty on all, all counts and were subsequently sentenced in 1987 to hundreds of years of prison time. So this was a big deal. And the heads of these families, the Lucchese, Bonanno, Genovese, uh, the Colombo family, the Gambino family, and people like uh, Carmine Persico and John Gotti were finally put away. And there were hits. There was a contract out on Giuliani. So this is a guy who's not afraid to step into the in, into the the firefight. He he's down in he's down in the trenches doing it, guys. A Sicilian mafia boss named Rosario Nemo and Salvatore Riani, a notorious Sicilian leaders, had ordered a murder contract on Giuliani in the mid nineteen eighties. So the Sicilians who were bosses in Italy, they became suspicious of the five families and thought they were going soft or that there was an insider or something else. And they uh, actually killed some, some of the people over here in New York City that were in the mob family. So the guy gets his hands dirty. He doesn't mind picking up the shovel and digging a hole and sticking people in it, which is good. Ivan Boisky, Boisky, I think I'm pronouncing it right, and Michael Milken were the two Wall Street arbiters who were uh, convicted of fraud and racketeering and all kinds of problems, and they had to pay fines and go to jail for a while. So we got a guy that has had pretty, pretty much a stellar prosecutorial career as an attorney. What a prosecutor he has been. And he is back in the saddle with the president and he knows how prosecutors work because that's what he did. That's that was his life. That's been his life and, until he became mayor and then started his own business. So he had 25 or 30 years of prosecutorial, maybe more of prosecutorial experience of being a federal prosecutor and uh, a state level prosecutor as well. He's also had experience as mayor, and he won the 1993 election and was in 
in office for two terms, and then he was also a supporter of the Republican who followed him in the 2000s. And uh, by the way, he was the first Republican that had been elected to the mayor's office since the 1960s. And he was also the only mayor since LaGuardia, who was in the 1930s, Republican mayor, who got a second term. So that's saying a lot about him. Now, the crime rate did drop in the city. And people will say, well, it was already dropping. It was dropping nationwide. Yes, it has been dropping nationwide, but it did not drop as precipitously as when Giuliani was mayor. So for his two terms, he really dropped it even more and faster. He did it by being very aggressive, by using the perp walk, by going after petty crimes as well as major crimes. Uh, they were prosecuting people for graffiti, for jumping the turnstiles in the subway, for marijuana possession, uh, for panhandling, and especially the squeegee guys that were up in New York City in the 1980s and early 90s were the guys, who, the bums who would come out at a stoplight and they'd spit on your window and mess it all up. And then if you give them a buck, they'd squeegee it off. They'd clean it up. So uh, it was a, a real nuisance. And a lot of people avoided New York City for those reasons. So he got the squeegee men from the streets. And this had been started under David Dinkins. But I don't think Dinkins had the right uh, 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 police chief and the right safety officials in place to make this happen. But it got done under Giuliani, even if Dinkins had started it. And the environment in New York City has changed dramatically. And I know because my cousins live up in uh, Newark area, and we would visit New York off and on over the years since I was a small child, went there during my hippie days, went there as a college student and a medical student, vacations, uh, was in the World Trade Center two times. I remember the old uh, World's Fair in 1964, I think it was, or 58, I can't remember the exact year, but going there, I mean, I remember the city. I remember sitting in Times Square and watching all the bums and the drug addicts and the prostitutes walking up and down, and it was dirty, and the, the gutters were full of trash. And Now you go to Times Square, it is just flat out gorgeous. I mean, there's no crime. There's plenty of cops. It looks really good. And in large part, we owe this to the efforts of Rudy Giuliani. So now he's back in the, in the mix with uh, the president. He's the president's new lawyer and supporter. And people say, I wonder how long Giuliani will last. Well, Giuliani's been by Trump's side now for uh, several years. He's been a supporter of Trump and has been helping him out and backing him up. And you say, well, Giuliani's not really a, truly a full conservative, but neither is the president. I mean, they're, they both feel sorry for the little guys, and they don't want to see uh, people go without health care, and they want to make sure that everybody's protected under the law. And, and that's fine. That's fine with me. I don't have a problem with that. Oh, by the way, Giuliani told the Saudi prince, Awalid bin, Tali, bin Talin, that he didn't want the money from Ben Talon because uh, a lot of the fomenting of this anti-American Muslim sentiment had taken place in Saudi Arabia. So he said, we don't need your $10 million donation to the disaster relief fund. 
And of course, everybody cheered him. Everybody thought that was a great one, well, not everybody, but most of us thought that was a real uh, forward, blunt statement that he had made. So uh, I like the guy. I've liked him ever since. And I think the president's got a good man. I hope he listens to him. Oh, my God. I love Trump's policies, but the boy is just hard to control. <laughs> He's a wild horse, isn't he? <laughs> All right, guys, I'm out of here. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I want to thank you for being with me, and I'll see you next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.